Welcome to another episode of Exploring Innovation, a podcast where we discuss the challenges of managing and driving innovation in traditional organizations. My name is Tobias Eklund and I will do my best to host this show. I have, before joining Hello Future, which is the company behind this podcast, worked and been frustrated in large international organizations and we'll try to keep that perspective to therefore try to take your perspective while interviewing our guests. Today I have a guest who has shared that struggle and my thought is to discuss these and therefore hopefully helping you with some new perspectives and hopefully some solutions. Welcome Anna Vigedal. Thank you. It's a pleasure to join the show today. So tell us, who are you? So my name is Anna Vigedal. Uh, I'm trained as a designer, used to call myself a strategic designer. I've been working for Hello Future for about a month now, but uh, prior to that, I've been in the big corporate world for a long, long time. I spent the past nine years at Ericsson and tried to work with creative disciplines and drive innovation in uh, various positions and forms and shapes. Um, and all, all time during those years, I've been collaborating a lot with both internal and external partners. And, and also prior to joining Ericsson, I've been with uh, SCA uh, during my studies for a bit, and I did my master thesis at Electrolux. Uh, so I've been inside many big, especially Swedish companies um, in positions where try to look into the future and work with new things outside of their current scope, so to speak. So I have quite some experience um, from trying to drive innovation and explore futures within big companies. Just, just some perspective for our um, international listeners. Uh, what is Ericsson? So Ericsson is a telecommunication uh, company. Uh, I believe it's the largest one in the world. Uh, so the core business is to build and develop and sell uh, networks. So everything that is connected basically needs Ericsson. Um, everything from telephony to internet of things and all the systems managing connectivity and nowadays a lot of other products that builds on connectivity um so that's the core business connectivity yeah connectivity is the essence yeah. for us today <laughs> very yeah very much a business to business organization they had uh, a business to consumer if, if you're old enough, maybe you'll remember the Ericsson mobile telephones, which was then merged with Sony, exactly. I think. And and then after that, when Nokia and I don't know if, if it was uh, due to the Apple launch or if I think it was put down before before uh, Apple launches iPhone, I think. I'm not sure. About yeah, I believe before as well. I should know this better, but yeah, yeah. I think it's possible before. But it's a, it's a very, very business-to-business -business oriented or organization and very much driven by engineers, well, engineer mindset. Yeah, that's true. It's really the core. Uh, it's a technology company uh, and numbers and engineering and like very scientific ways of working uh, i would say that's that's the norm in that perspective of course uh this conversation will be a lot about 
you trying to drive innovation and, and working in that sort of creative space within an org, huge organization, which is very, very uh, industrially driven, data driven uh, due to the, the engineering background just to set the perspective. So where should we start? I mean, we, we talked ahead of this this podcast and you had some really, <laughs> really nice one-liners, some words that you said that you've been using um, that, that uh, caught my attention. Uh, should we start with the corporate immune system, which you mentioned, which I think is a very interesting way of describing a problem? Tell me about what you mean by the corporate immune system. Absolutely. Um, before getting into that, I would really like to just like set the scene a little bit uh, for like how how it is to work with non-engineering yeah, sure. disciplines in such a big company. Um, because and one and one more yeah. thing, Anna. Uh, just to, one thing that we forgot that we need to be very specific about. It's really, really not our ambition to in any way bash Ericsson or any other of the companies. It's just, uh, it will be, of course, a an example that we bring up since you've worked there for nine years. But I think the problems that we will talk about are, are, are general for any type of large, what we call traditional organization. And, and how do we define the word traditional organization? Well, basically, it's it's a... It's an organization that was founded prior to the internet age, mm. uh, prior to, to the agile and scrum and, and these more flexible and, and maybe user-centered uh, ways of working, which uh, is applicable to most organizations that we still have today. Uh, so just let's just be clear. Yeah. But okay, sorry, yeah. <laughs> sorry for interrupting. But I think it's important to so that your old colleagues at Ericsson <laughs> won't call you up and be really pissed about what uh, what you're saying here. Yeah. Uh, that is not our ambition. So sorry. Anna. No worries. I totally agree, and that was actually also what I wanted to get into a little bit because people at all those companies I've been at, and especially Ericsson, most of them are usually creative and they want to explore futures and want to drive innovation in different ways. But it's very different perspectives. If you come from a design background and work with more strategic questions and more speculative or future looking, or if you are a radio engineer trying to be creative within just that uh, discipline, which is much more narrow in a sense. So. Um, I just want to make it perfectly clear that um, innovation is something that most people work with within their domain, but when it comes to those bigger, more future-looking, more systemic or complex or strategic uh, questions looking into futures, that is something that I've found very difficult to uh, do in some settings, and that's what I want to talk more about uh, today. So getting back to that term, the corporate immune system, I think it's super interesting. Um, it wasn't me who coined it. Uh, I read it in some articles we discussed before. I should be able to give you the references, but I don't have it to mind. <laughs> um, we can, if uh, you remember, we can uh, put them in the description. Yeah, we should do that. Episode. Yeah, exactly. So when you work with innovation and 
everything that is more future looking and doesn't really uh, stick in line with what your core business is. Um, you oftentimes, or most of the time, have to deal with a lot of unknown. It's a lot of uncertainty. You maybe have to find new ways of working. You don't really know where you're had, heading on beforehand. Um, so you have to do things a bit differently. You have to be curious. You have to uh, dare to put yourself out there a bit and not stick to the well-known ways of working and so forth. And if you're in a big organization that is very much tuned to be efficient and it's the next quarterly report that is important and everything has to be uh, proven by data and numbers. It's hard if you don't know where you're heading. So it's not single people, but more like the organization as such, um, like the culture and the, the ways of working and how it's organized that creates this kind of immune reaction to um, what is it's, new it's and different. In it's of it's in the DNA very much. Um, yeah, efficiency and uh, efficiency and accountability and me measurability. Yeah, so I like to compare it to an unsuccessful organ transplant. Everyone knows that the body ne needs that new organ, but sometimes the immune system just kicks in by default and neglects it and pushes it away even though everybody knows the brain knows it needs that new liver <laughs> and that's what i've seen <laughs> happening so many times um, so people say that okay we need to put effort in looking into this but then when it really happens it uh, meets a lot of resistance anyways and that's what what is the immune system that's a that's an interesting way of putting it. So so basically, everyone needs everyone knows we need to start working in other ways. But does any does everybody understand that? I mean, theoretically, that you need to work in another way, but you won't do it because of the 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 DNA, the the way that everything is set up, the way that everything is measured, the the quarterly reports, the budgets, and everything. Uh, is is the is the knowledge and understanding? I mean, it must be there that the, the, the whole that people don't really understand the the importance of working in new ways. So, what's your analysis of that? Yes and no. I would say, for the most of it, people don't realize how much change that might be needed. I've met reactions so many times that you want the result of something you've seen a successful like innovation or design driven project uh, you want those results but you don't really get how it has been produced um i've heard reactions so many times that you guys you're just doing the fun things you yeah producing those fancy prototypes uh, or having workshops uh, it's not really hard work. It's not. It's not the pure engineering stuff that we are doing. Well, not really that to say that, uh, like outspoken, but you can sense it. But then, like the results are super appreciated, and I think it's a disconnect there that there are so many different ways to produce different kinds of results, and if you're dealing with the unknowns and more future-looking things, uh, you can't be too strict with processes and decide on beforehand what the end destination should be because 
you learn along the way and you have to take uh, maybe some unexpected turns and you have to be more open about how you work uh, than if you work in a like really strict sprint developing something with a tight deadline because i mean that kind of work is the big bulk of work that is done in most big corporations you develop a product you have to sell to customers so that should be, still be like the most important and core way of working uh, but i don't think it's black or white uh, it has to be more nuanced and there are need for doing things in different ways in different situations with different purposes and i would like to see that being more uh, more variation and more acceptance for doing uh, work in different ways for different purposes you said you said uh, when we spoke and that uh, companies or organizations want the result but they're not willing to change behavior uh, which is is a, a good way to to explain that that you have to you have to be open yeah. uh, in in which ways you you end up the result and, and um, also this this um, you mentioned it uh, right now that that if you if you want to look into the unknown you can't really know well it, 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 i think you, if you if you know where you're heading it's not innovation I mean, if 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 you really know the answer in advance, exactly, um, and you just want to find a process to get there as quickly as possible, it's it's uh, you're not, probably not being uh, innovative enough. Would you would you agree with that? I totally agree with that. I think it's so important to make room for really explorative work, and it's also in the DNA of explorative work that sometimes you don't end up with something super interesting, but that's also a learning. It's a learning that, okay, this uh, area might not be um, the right time and place to invest more in right now. Um, so I think that it's really important to um, have some sort of constant explorative work going on in order to be able to be quick and agile and start um, developing more within within an area you find really uh, interesting and promising for the moment where you can uh, like do more innovation efforts would you would you say if i say that that new knowledge is not considered important enough is that one of the key the key problems here because i mean if you can if you can um, go into a project and you know that you're you you can, if you do this you can uh, you know save 20% or earn 20% more or, or, or whatever that that is very tangible that's very yeah. very much up to the the old dna uh, but but the knowledge perspective that maybe okay this is an interesting solution but the timing is not right because people mm. aren't ready for it or um, is that one of the key the key problems here that knowledge in itself uh, that comes out of this type of exploratory work is not valued high enough? Uh, I wouldn't say that's one of the key problems. Uh, at least where I've been, that has been pretty valued, uh, the knowledge um, perspective. But it's more about like beforehand, when starting an initiative, getting the right resources without being able to uh, actually 
through what the end result will be. Uh, and yeah. there you have to be really smart with how you package something uh, and very pedagogic about, okay, we can't promise that we make this blueprint for a product, but we can deliver this kind of knowledge and this kind of insights. And uh, a lot of time I'll be working and making things to show at big fairs or conferences or in different public settings, uh, because that allows you to be more um, like work more with thought leadership and and communicate about future and not be so focused on uh, product development or those kind of things. So that's one way to deal about it. Yeah. So, so I mean, let, let's back up to, or dive deeper into that, because as you mentioned, one of the problems is to get the resources uh, to, to actually do this this kind of work without having any sort of data really to show that there will be a return on investment. So how can you come around this this problem? Um, of course, there's this, the strategy perspective that the, you know the board of directors has said that we need to become more innovative. But you, on on you know in the organization, you have to battle with with all the the managers who are afraid to to bust their budgets. Tell us about uh, uh, more of how you handled this this uh, very concrete problem? Yeah, oh, there are many different ways, I would say. Um, so one way is to try to uh, tie the area you want to explore to a specific de deliverable, as I mentioned, except for example, if you know that it's important for the organization to show a demo at, for example, Mobile World Congress, uh, which is a great, uh, huge uh, fair show. Then you can use that opportunity to explore an area you think is really promising for uh, strategically for the future and make a demo of something that is contained and possible for people to experience. But at the same time, you can build in a big narrative and story around uh, so much more uh, tied to the concept. And that's one way to get approval for actually working on it, not just to make a demo, but use the demo as a vehicle to explore something bigger. Um, when it comes to data, me and my colleagues have worked quite a bit with trying to find proof in the world around us. Uh, for example, working with uh, the sustainable development gold as a, as a starting point for most projects we do because no one can say that these things aren't important. I mean, the world has agreed that the sustainable development goals are things that we have to together work on to uh, make sure that we have a future. Um, so if you use numbers that back those up and, and uh, tie it to your business and try to show some sort of market potential in it and really collect all the proof points that you can uh, to, to make a solid case that you have an area that is important for your business. Uh, that's one way to get approval, which is kind of hard uh, to say no to, I would say. Sounds a lot like like internal marketing. You have to you have to build this uh, 
marketing strategy internally to to reach the right stakeholders and and uh, make them make them aware of what you want to do and, and yes doing it. yeah and i think you you said a a keyword there internal stakeholders that is something yeah. that is so important to find uh, the right persons that understands what you're doing and the ways of working that can be some sort of champion for your work and help to um, anchor it higher up in management and uh, help creating uh, the space and let's call it approval for it. So it's very much a team effort. Back to the marketing perspective, I have a background within marketing and, and is your experience that top management often sees, my, my experience was that these kind of initiatives we're often taking from like the marketing budget uh, because that's that's sort of a garbage bin sometimes in mm. some organizations where you can put um, all these fluffy, uh, what some people say is nice to have initiatives. Um, what, what's your experience of this? I don't know how you handled it within your or how it was handled within the organizations you've been working with, but but uh, what, what are your thoughts about that what I what I define as a problem. It's it's a problem that that the the marketing budget is used for for these initi mm. initiatives. Yeah, I think it's it can be a problem and it can also be a blessing. It depends how it's handled. Um, I think it's really a fine balance and it has been handled in very many different ways since I've been in different positions in in different organizations. But uh, I would say that. As you mentioned, it's easy that it's like classified as marketing. It's just a nice vision, and then it's a disconnect for, from the rest of the organization uh, that works more with the development here and now and the business here and now. And that's a problem when it becomes too much of a disconnect between the visionary work and the here and now. So I think the key is really to tie it back create some sort of roadmap and be really clear about how can we get to that visionary point and why should we go there and um, be very clear about uh, the gap in between, so to speak, because that's when it really can make a big difference. I've seen so many times that new visions are presented or uh, start an initiative for how we should change culture or how it should change or how it should be in the future. Uh, but the gap between how it is today and that future is too big. And then it's really hard to know what to do about it. Even though people like it and think it's a nice vision, uh, it's hard to understand how can I be a part of it and how can I change and help contributing to it. Um, so even though it's supported by marketing and marketing helps reaching out and things like that. I think it's really important to make sure that you speak to everyone, both internally and externally, that has to be a part of making uh, that vision reality. This sounds like m most, <laughs> most of the work is internal communication. <laughs> uh, That's a big part. Really really i mean the, the communicative skills needed to 
to ensure that this just doesn't just stop as a roll up on the mobile yeah. world uh, fair in Barcelona. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the internal communication part is crucial. Do you have any any tips or any, you know, yes, I do. For, yeah, share <laughs> a couple please. of things. Uh, so first thing, uh, actually showing things externally to communicate it internally is a really good way to go. Because if, if something has got some sort of external approval and big important partners really likes it, it's easier to make the point internally that, okay, the world around us wants this, we should work more on it. So that's, hmm. that's one way. So you, so you get, you get like brands that the organization feel are credible to jump on the bandwagon and say, and you use them as basically ambassadors. Yeah, oh, or, it doesn't even yeah, have to be uh, like that big brands that uh, are super important for the business. Uh, but just the fact that someone externally can uh, sign off that this is something that the world around us need, uh, that makes a difference. Yeah. Uh, but I think the biggest part and what I've really been working with with my team uh, before is to make things that are experienceable, things that people can really try and use and experience in order to understand what the future might be like. So make future prototypes, not just like PowerPoint presentations or reports, but something that you can step into a glimpse of that future and understand and experience. So it really speaks to your emotions in a different way. That's super powerful in order to communicate what you're trying to achieve mm. and everyone will understand it in a slightly different way depending on background and depending on what's on their table and therefore I think it's a efficient way to uh, present results and visions to make make a prototype that anyone can experience could you uh, get, could I can you give an example, example yeah, a, yeah yeah so one big thing that I was working on uh, at Ericsson a long time back. Uh, it was when 5G was like um, starting to be developed and uh, it was not really clear like exactly what what are the super good arguments for why the world need faster and better connectivity. Um, it won't be that kids on the tube will surf YouTube faster. There has to be something other, more like business perspective to it. Um, so why do we need like super low latency in the connectivity? Uh, so we come up with the use case of uh, remote control and remote controlling heavy machinery. Uh, oh. So we were going to build a demonstrator to show at the Mobile World Congress and first we discussed remote controlled uh, trucks, but then we realized showing trucks that run up public roads might raise a discussion around um, safety and and like security of people. So it's much better to talk about and show something that is connected to um, a place when you have a shield off area, like a construction site. So we looked into <clears throat> remote controlling excavators and also, most of the audience at those fairs are uh, middle-aged men with engineering backgrounds. So the fascination <laughs> for heavy machinery is over average, I would say. 
<laughs> so that was an like, attractive point to it. Uh, so we managed to partner up with Volvo and make um, uh, had a excavator in the sand pit in Eskilstuna, and you could remote control it from a control rig in Barcelona. Wow! And in that way, we could talk about why we need networks with lower latency because you could sit in that rig and control it over a, um, a network which wasn't 5G, it was too slow, so it was a lot of lag and not good enough, but you could really experience why a faster network is needed and starting to imagine and fantasizing about all the other good things that would be possible similar to that. Uh, and that is so much more powerful than just telling someone that you can remote control an excavator all over the globe. Of course, that sounds good, but what does it really mean? You understand it on a whole different level when you try it yourself. So when C-level people from other companies and from Ericsson come and sit in that rig and try it, they can see, okay, this is good. We need this. So that's my really, best yeah. tip to how to go about it. How did you solve it in, in, in reality? Was it a, did you create the 5G network between Barcelona and... No, that was 4G. Um, but then we had some like augmented reality to it and could talk about how 3D audio can compensate for lag in the network. And yeah, I can go into all the details, but wow. Yeah, it's cool. Okay. I, I really, I really see the, see the point. And this was not from a marketing budget than I expect. This was really, no, it was uh, research primarily. And also I think it's maybe a little bit of marketing, but that was the time when I worked at research and there was a great team of super talented, dedicated researchers working on this. Uh, so big shout outs to all of them. Hmm. You, you mentioned another thing, uh, a, a tip when we spoke before about the, this problem of not having, having, uh, data, uh, the, the Google trends tip, tell me, tell me that because <laughs> I thought it was so, so funny. Yeah. Uh, because that's one thing i also encountered a couple of times that oh you just had luck again when you like hit the concept just in time uh like before before it became a big thing in the world for example we worked with augmented and uh, reality and virtual reality really early on be before it was a big thing so when you've done a couple of those projects on the technology area for example before it's been trending in the world one way to kind of show your um, uh, success in the past that we have been using is to just search on Google Trends for the word and show the trend curves when you were working on the project and then how it was trending a couple of months or year later so that you have been having the perfect timing for quite some times before. And I think that can be helpful in um, building the confidence and, and trust around that. It's not just luck. You, you actually have some skills uh, predicting or understanding uh, the technology and the surrounding world and what's going on from a bigger perspective. And I also think yeah. that that bigger perspective is uh, so important and also like one of the key aspects to doing these things successfully, uh, to look at the areas and matters really uh, from a systemic perspective, 
not just the technology or just the global trends or just the user experience or just whatever it might be, but really try to combine it all from a truly systemic perspective because the world around us is complex and no, no one can say on beforehand that A will lead to B the next time just because it did before. So the more details you can add into the mix and the bigger picture you can have, I think the likelihood in uh, ending up in, uh, I wouldn't say right, because you will never be right when you work with the future, but closer to right place, um, mm. the, the better likelihood uh, it will be. So from from what you tell me, I, I mean, if I look back at, at uh, the role you seem to have had, uh, it's it's been... I mean, an incredible amount of having having a broad understanding of all the trends in the world. Uh, in in this Ericsson case, specifically, you know, what what can we do with connectivity? So it's it's that perspective, and it's very much a call it a marketing slash communication perspective, but then also the 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 actual work with with uh, driving these innovation processes that's that seems <laughs> that's a lot on on one's plate isn't it yeah but it's a teamwork so i'm not doing all of it uh and no. i think that's so important when it comes to those things that it's so hard to be successful on your own and it's well now we're talking about it's hard in a big organization because it's easy to find resistance the we have tried this before 10 years ago and it didn't work so we shouldn't do it again and all the not invented here uh, mentality and all those things but there are also so many super smart talented people that want the same thing so if you work together you can achieve great things um so yeah as you said it's it's a bit of communication and marketing it's a bit of um, observing the world around and try to make sense and understand it's technology deep dive and like frontier research it's design work and it's everything combined in a nice mix and now it sounds like uh, the product i've been working on has been done with a huge team but like the core team has been five to six people and then we have collaborated a lot with both internal and external people um in order to achieve all those things so it's really really a team effort yeah but but if if you would if if we look at let's say a um, we have a french company and they haven't been really working with innovation they are a thousand employees i mean what what would their based on your experiences how should they set up a team uh, what kind of competencies would they need to ensure that that their innovation efforts are successful based on your experiences oh well, that's a great question um I'm not sure there is one uh, right answer to this question. No, oh, I know, not. I know it's not, uh, but I would say a couple of things and that is to have a mixed team. Uh, of course, it depends what this French company is doing, uh, what yeah. kind of business they're in. Uh, since I'm a designer, I would definitely say some sort of design background, but yeah. with like um, the broad, and, and, broad perspective for for the uh, for the listener who is not really uh, familiar with what you mean with the design background what what do, ah, what do you mean with that that's also a good question um something someone who um, has experience working with user centricity 
working with unknown and future looking things. If it's product design or service design or interaction design, it doesn't really matter. But when it comes to innovation team, I would really say that it has to be someone that is confident with uncertainty and good at communicating and connecting dots and not being fixed minded, but very open minded. Uh, so the actual uh, kind of designer doesn't really matter. So it's more about uh, mindset. Yeah, I, I, I'm planning to do an episode on, on this specific area because I think a lot of our not not everyone knows what what design thinking is. Yeah, and um, I think that is also a problem in itself. So design in a technology organization uh, that can be like design, like PCB board design, nothing to do with what we mean when we talk about design yeah. with a creative background. Same for architecture, that can be like software architecture or uh, something totally different. Uh, so sometimes it's easier to not use the word, word design and not use the yeah. word innovation because everyone wants to do innovation. That's a super trending word um, because it's been kind of hijacked. <laughs> yeah. It's it's fluffy. Therefore, this podcast. Yeah, uh, it's a need um, for it. But back back to my my original question. So you, you want some some with with a design mindset. Yeah. To 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 try to uh, we'll we'll deepen this this um, your understanding of this word. Mm -hmm. And so you want someone with a design mindset. What else would you would you re uh, hire? Someone who is uh, good at the. Like the subject matter, the technology, or the like, the area itself, the business uh, in which the the company is operating, but also a forward-looking person that is open-minded. Yeah. So it's the mindset is the most important among everyone. Someone that is really good at communication, like packaging and mm. presenting material uh, in different shapes and forms. Maybe someone who is uh, anthropologist or make. Yeah, making so, studies and observing and interviewing people could yeah. be very interesting. I think it's interesting f f that you separated the design thinking and the, the, the communication packaging, because I yeah. think in a lot of people's minds, that's the same thing, but it's not, as we'll get back to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the design is not just the looks of things. It's uh, when I talk about design, I talk more about um, the toolbox and the mindset and like designer way of working, like the verb and not, hmm. uh, not the outcome. So therefore yeah. the separation. So design, design thinking mindset, somebody who really knows the business area, uh, or technology or whatever it is, uh, someone who's really good at packaging and communicating and somebody's really good at, at, uh, observing the outside world and and what that is yeah and the more the merrier i guess yeah and right. i can't emphasize enough like the mindset and the personality type is more uh, important than the title in the cv so yeah experience and a mindset goes a long way yeah 
Great. There was one more thing you mentioned when we talked uh, before, uh, which I also thought was such a good expression. Uh, I know it's not yours, uh, but the Trojan horse. Yeah. Tell us about. Uh, we've been in. We've been touching it, but we've been but touching on more. it a little bit. Um, yeah, it's something an expression we used a lot when I worked at Ericsson. Sometimes when it comes to working with uh, things on a more strategic level, when you for example, develop a demonstrator or a concept or something that you present, but you actually want to communicate something much bigger, uh, something that is maybe complex to communicate just like that. But by showing something that people can experience and try out, you can broaden the perspective and talk about a bigger question or maybe by just bringing people along on the project and explain how you worked. You can use that example or that project as a, as a way of influence, influencing ways of working. So you make a small thing in order to uh, influence something bigger. Uh, it's a super smart man who I had the pleasure to work with a couple of times called Dan Hill, who uh, has written a book about strategic design and Trojan horses. Um, Really we should get him on the show. Yeah, we should. Definitely. Okay. Is there anything else that you think that we've um, not discussed that you would like to really emphasize based on your experiences in these organizations? Is there a perspective that we missed? Well, in that case, yeah, we would. It would be great to to have you back on the show. Uh, final final question: How many how many pull ups can you do in a row? It depends if they are strict or kipping. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I've done uh, twenty two strict, a lot more kipping. Um, yeah, yeah for, I spend uh, what, two man hours the, the, on CrossFit every week. Yeah, <laughs> that's a strange question to ask an innovation podcast. But Anna is, is uh, a very very serious CrossFit. Uh, what do you call it? CrossFit athlete, maybe, yeah. CrossFit athlete, athlete yeah. Uh, world, world. What, what, how does that work? Do you have a ranking system? Well, in the world uh, so, or? so the biggest uh, competition in the sport is the CrossFit Games. I participated there on a team twice, and I placed six and nine. So that's wow. decent. <laughs> and that's the world. That's the world, yeah. Okay, so I'm not going to pick a fight with you. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Anna, it's really been great having you here. Uh, looking forward to to continuing our discussions. It's 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 nice. I mean, we we are now colleagues since a month ago, but but um, your perspective is really really fresh on on the kinds of troubles and and problems and challenges that uh, our listeners are having. So so uh, it's been really wonderful uh, i hope uh, you listeners have uh, have picked some some good tips or or um, solutions with you i think i think my, from my perspective this whole notion of the corporate immune system is is uh, interesting it's it's i mean it's it's really something i i i, I brought with me because it's, it's i i I like I like that kind of communication. It makes people understand what uh, what we're talking about. Uh, when you when you have the efficiency as a holy grail, it will automatically spit out anything that you can't prove is sort of efficient uh, in in beforehand. 
Okay, so if you thought this discussion was interesting, be sure to hit that subscribe button in whatever podcast player you're using. And if you have any questions or ideas for this podcast, uh, maybe you know someone who we, who we should talk to, or you want to join us yourselves, um, don't be a stranger and mail me at podcast at hellofuture.com. And of course, you can read more about us and our podcast at hellofuture.com, where we have a landing page for all the specific podcast episodes, and we will put all material there um, that could be of interest for you to read on if there's something special that that, uh, you want to know more about. So talk to you soon. Take care and remember to smile at the stranger today. Bye.